Hello and welcome to season two of Chatting to a Friend. Season one was the most amazing experience for me and the life lessons and wisdom I learned from my guests, plus the fun I had was absolutely beyond my wildest dreams. The goal for season two is to add more variety and diversity to my guest list. I absolutely love adventure and sport and so those will still feature heavily, but I wanted to talk to more women who have very different life experiences to mine, careers, backgrounds and challenges that I wanted to learn more about to widen my understanding and broaden my horizons. I realise there's a lot of me, me, me in this intro, but it's because I still feel like it's the most extraordinary privilege for me to talk to and learn from these women. And so even if no one's listening, it remains the most personal of all my projects. Having said that, from the amazing feedback I've had and how much you have kept listening between seasons, I know you're going to love these conversations too. Please don't forget to rate and review the podcast either on Apple or on lovethepodcast.com forward slash chatting to a friend. I can't wait to hear how you love season two. Today's guest is Victoria Evans, and this is the first time I've done one of these, but this is going to be one of two. Victoria is setting off in February, very soon, to row across the Atlantic on her own. And she very kindly managed to find half an hour to chat to me about her backstory, about where she's come from, why she's doing this row, the causes that are close to her heart, and really to just give us an insight into her prep, which let me tell you, has been nothing short of COVID related ugh, possible disaster after disaster, but she's still hanging in there. And I, I think you'll really enjoy this. The plan is to get her back on the podcast after she has successfully completed her mission. So this is my first ever part one. Hi, Tori. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Hi, Katie. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you, like genuinely like a small child in a sweet shop, excited because as I sit here, I'm looking at my bookshelf, which is rammed with ocean rowing books. I'm a little bit obsessed. So thank you so much <laughs> for agreeing to chat to me. Are you planning an ocean row of your own at some point? Well, it has been floated, yes, pardon the terrible pun, um, <laughs> currently <laughs> currently suffering from a bit of a hip injury, which uh, doesn't allow me to do much in the way of that motion that you need, that constant, uh, quite tight angle of the hip. Yeah. But maybe for my 50th, who knows? Um, yeah, so it's, I would absolutely love to. But anyway, let's talk about someone who is actually doing it, and that's you. And I'm quite interested in your story. Well, I'm interested in anybody who's interested in <laughs> in rowing an ocean, as might be quite obvious. And I wanted to start with the very obvious question, why? Why? <laughs> it's always everybody's first question. Um, I'd say if you're trying to sort of look at that in a, a succinct answer, my core motivations are that I was very keen to find an event of sufficient magnitude that it offered me a platform to do some work around raising awareness and money for women in sport and, and gender equality in sport. Um, mm. I think if you were to sort of dive into that in 
a little bit more detail and sort of to give you a bit of my backstory as to how I came to it. I um, I work as a, a lawyer, I qualified as a commercial and intellectual property lawyer and ended up specialising in sport almost by accident in that I was sent on secondment to Adidas during my training contract at the law firm. Um, and that was just before 2012 and found that fascinating and decided I wanted to on qualification work in media or, or sport and went to work in television for a while. And then I was approached about a job um, at UEFA in Switzerland, mm. which is where you're based, isn't it? So I lived in mm-hmm. Geneva for four years. And um, I think just during that time, really noticed the the need for a shift in the culture around sport. And I moved back to London in 2018, sort of just as that push for change within women's sport was really gaining momentum and I worked whilst I was in Switzerland with UN women and was involved in some of the changes that they were seeking to make but I always sort of felt that there was a a slightly uh it was slightly lacking a positive angle in how they were going to drive that change and I think Mm. there are a, a lot of frustrations within women who work in sport or who participate in sport as to why that change is needed but that if you really are going to push for change you need to be delivering a positive message around that to engage people and to get people to buy into that that messaging so from a professional angle I think it's um, of great interest to myself and I think being a lawyer puts you in a perfect position to really seek that change through the right um, avenues but from a personal perspective as well I was completely not sporty as a child I couldn't have been less active mm-hmm. and I just before I moved to Switzerland I got into to running and then um, once I was in Geneva itself I was just surrounded by all these amazing women who were so incredibly active and sort of doing things that were so far outside of my comprehension of what was possible at the time and I think when you're surrounded by people like that and you're encouraged to do things and you have those examples and role models you just naturally become more sort of entwined in that world and I did I started uh, running more I started cycling I learned to ski I spent a lot of time in Verbier where you're based crying on red runs <laughs> during my first couple of years in Switzerland um, I did a triathlon and then eventually I progressed to mountain climbing so I climbed the Mont Blanc and I climbed Grand Paradiso and then I went over to climb Kilimanjaro and I think those those challenges just sort of expand your definition of what you're capable of and Mm. they're so empowering and I was really passionate about encouraging other women to do the same because I you know I I came from a fairly turbulent background and had certain issues from my childhood I had an eating disorder for about 12 years and things like Mm. that and and sport really just drove so much positive change in in my life and I think if you can do anything to help bring others into that sphere then then you should do so I guess it's paying it back a little bit on on a personal front and then an, an interest from a professional front. Well those are two excellent sides to the answer thank, thank you that's brilliant I wanted to touch on a couple of those things first of all what when you talk about the barriers to women and perhaps not the most positive way it was being addressed what can you be more specific? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, there are the obvious barriers in that 
we're seeing increased opportunities for women in sport, whether that's recreationally or professionally, that previously weren't there. But I think the biggest factor that needs tackling that's so difficult to take on is the culture that sits around sport. And I felt that very strongly having worked in sport for the best part of a decade. You know, there are things that happen in your professional career that are unacceptable and and it's how you how you change perceptions in order to change that culture shift and I think that's the biggest barrier that still needs to be tackled because you see um, great strides being made in you know the code of sports governance introducing 30% of female uh, representation on boards and, and things like that but you still have this at times relatively archaic viewpoint around women on sport or what women mm. are capable of and mm. and even where you are seeing positive change within women's sport like the introduction of the women's tour de france it's still not on a par with the men's events and there still seems to be this viewpoint that women aren't quite as capable or physically capable or mm. and and i think that's the the biggest barrier in my mind that that still exists mm. i also think there's a lack of um understanding and some of that is very innocent in parts that there are policies or structures in place that don't um sort of permit the same participation by women and those are not being addressed sort of uh appropriately or there isn't an awareness as to why those are problematic and i have a really strong example at the moment which is still confidential as to who it's with at the moment but i'm sure next time we speak we'll be able to talk about it in more detail but I contacted a large race organizer and said are you aware that this policy isn't compliant with equality law and you should change it and it's not a criticism of where you are at the moment but I think this is a fantastic opportunity for you to be a forerunner in this sector and come forward mm. and say we've realized this is the problem yes we'll change it and they've agreed to do that and I'm working with them on it and I think that's you know it demonstrates that the appetite is there if if they're aware of it but some people just frankly aren't aware of it so yeah I think it's, it's so easy to to criticize and actually sometimes we need to just accept sort of status quo and look at how we how we move forward that was mm. a very long-winded answer sorry no no not <laughs> at all no it's all amazing stuff it was reminding me of a conversation I had with one of my guests towards the end of last season Veronica Rojas who is a trail runner and mm. Uh, she was talking about the UTMB and the fact that you can, and I don't know if this is still current, but uh, you can defer for a year your qualification for the UTMB if you're injured, but not, but not if pregnant. you're pregnant. Exactly. And, and same with sort of, uh, Sophie Power did a lot of work around that with um, Virgin London Marathon this year. And I think they did come out and say that they were willing to allow deferrals, but it's still not publicly on their mm. um they don't have a written policy that's available. They just offer mm. you the opportunity to contact them to discuss you it. Think. And they mm. still don't publicly offer that good for Asian championship places, which mm. um, isn't. And there's a recent decision in the Court of Arbitration of Sport. Uh, this is where I say, like, I think you're well placed to discuss these issues if you have a legal background, because there's an athlete, a Canadian athlete called Mandy Bujold, who who protested against the fact that she wasn't selected for Tokyo because you have to be selected in certain qualifying periods for the events. And she was mm. either pregnant or on maternity during those periods. And she was successful in that claim. So mm. there is now set precedent that suggests that has to start changing. And I think it's 
educating people as to those changes and saying, you know, you now you now have to take note of this. It's not something that can continue to be ignored that will allow a more inclusive culture for the women in sport. Mm. Yes, all good stuff. Um, I've had so many guests, um, uh, Baz Moffat of the Well HQ. If you don't know about them, I'm going to introduce you because, oh my goodness, I think you and they could set up bomb off uh, on on some very important topics but we've had this conversation she's a former gb rower and now running this incredible organization about trying to get women you know equality in sport from everything from what you've been talking about down to proper sports bras and understanding of periods and you know Mm. all these amazing things so really fantastic and uh what i was going to say about so on the other side of it you'd said it was from a per- personal perspective and i as you know from briefly from an email i sent you i have almost the same history as you of moving to switzerland as the least sporty person on the planet yeah. and uh and then although i could ski no crying on red runs for me but <laughs> <laughs> other than that n- an absolute pure and utter loathing of being sweaty and uncomfortable and out of breath and moving here and also being married to a very sporty man but going omg look at all these people look at all these women doing amazing things and for me it wasn't even so much the ones that were doing extraordinary things it was the ones who were just you know going for a run while their kids were having a sleep you know that sort yeah. of making time for themselves making it something important to them and really just from there so I'm waffling on about myself a little bit but I just <laughs> I, I also sort of picked up on the fact that you uh, so there's two things one is that you know having your tribe it's a bit of a cliche now but having being surrounded by people that you can see doing it is so powerful and so yeah much easier than had I stayed where I was surrounded by people who didn't or that I didn't see doing that sort of thing. But also you touched on, you know, sort of unhealthy, um, I'm not sure if unhealthy is the word you used, but a, a background of an eating disorder and and so on, and that learning to run and so on, you felt you realized you couldn't fuel yourself properly. You couldn't do it properly if you weren't properly fueled and your body wasn't working as it should. Yeah. I think I think that's a huge part of it is that you if you enjoy it and and don't get me wrong there's plenty of times where you can go and do sport and it doesn't feel enjoyable at the time no. there's a lot of activity <laughs> that is to be enjoyed after it's finished um but I yeah you, you you simply can't succeed if you're not looking after yourself and I think I'm I've always been incredibly competitive I was the child that mm. nobody wanted to play board games with because I just couldn't handle it <laughs> I lost and and I think my competitive nature kicked in and I was like, actually, if I am going to do this and and in Switzerland, if you're going to keep up, you know, if you want to have a social mm. life with these people that you're now spending time with, you have to be able to keep up. And I think yep. you you have a new reason to to look after yourself. But sport also provides so much in confidence or self-worth or achievement that I think all of those factors tie into changing your mindset and changing how mm. you tackle certain issues and how you manage stress and things like that and I think it's those those wider benefits that are are key in in driving proper change and that's what that's what I found was that and it's a new way of relieving stress I think as women particularly you tend to internalize issues and I think that's why a lot of problems manifest in the form of things such as eating disorders Mm -hmm. and actually having a 
healthy outlet for that, that anxiety or that stress uh, was was transformational. Mm. And did you find something I found was just incredible was the ability to say yes to adventures that I had never, I'd also, oh, I'm too slow. I'm too this. I can't do it. Did you find that? I've just found that so empowering that I can say, yeah, sure. I might not be the fastest, but I can come now. I can do this. Yeah, completely. And that's, that's precisely where I think having your, your tribe, as you referred to it, is important because you need somebody there. That I have a good example of I cycled around Lake Garda with a friend of mine and it was mm. perhaps my like third or fourth time on a road bike and we oh finished about 100, 150 kilometres, which was well outside of my reach at the time. But she was like, I know you've got it in your locker. It doesn't matter if it takes us all day. You know, we can stop. We can. And we had so many calamities. We ended up on a motorway at one point by accident. Oh. We had flat tyres. You know, we didn't eat enough and it was... <laughs> chaos at points but we made it round and I think having someone with you that believes you can do it is is so important and yeah. it's, it's sort of saying yes to those adventures and knowing whatever happens there is someone there sort of either cheering you on or coaching you through the tough bits I think that was yeah the, the main thing that drove progress for me yeah and how did you get into rowing because it's not a massive sport in Switzerland for example no, I didn't row in Switzerland. I actually signed up and learned to row after I'd signed up to do the, <laughs> to do the Atlantic. <laughs> Probably not the normal approach, but um, I was keen to do another adventure when I moved back to the UK and very keen not to fall back into this, um, you know, indoor lifestyle that I'd previously had when I lived in London first time around. I wanted to maintain all of the benefits of an active life that I'd found in Switzerland and I originally looked at doing some more mountain climbing so I was looking at going to do a 7,000 meter peak in Kyrgyzstan and I tore my knee at CrossFit Mm. Um, so I still went to Kyrgyzstan and instead I went to the World Nomad Games which was incredible but I didn't go and do a mountain in the end I did one pass whilst I was there that was about 3,000 meters and Mm. um, and then when I came back I met uh, a girl whose husband was about to go and row the Atlantic and I was like gosh I didn't realize people did that that sounds mm-hmm. you know extreme and exciting and interesting and I researched it and sort of toyed with the idea for a while not that long and then I think <laughs> once I knew it could be done I just thought yeah why not give it give it a shot so signed up originally to do the Talisker race mm-hmm. which is a great entry route into ocean rowing people are looking for a for that um and then subsequently decided I'd quite like to go and have a bash at the record and it can be beneficial if you're going for a record to leave slightly later in the season so I, right. I pulled out of the talisker and, and decided to go independently for my <laughs> for my sins because it then fell apart with COVID and everything else so I got postponed by 12 months it's been quite I a, know quite ride. oh my Goodness. And and that, well, I was going to ask you about that because you mean you were actually, the boat was gone, had gone to the Canaries. Yeah. You were packing your food, you were doing all the things. And then the Spanish said, sorry, computer says no. Yeah. How did was, that feel? I mean, you have to take into account that at the time, everybody was trying to navigate how best to play mm. co- you know, the rules during COVID. And I think it's, it's hard to sort of push any blame I do think it could have been handled better by the authorities but I essentially wrote to the authorities and wrote to the Ministry of 
bought and said, I'm planning to come and do this. You know, I, I recognise that you're introducing travel bans. Are you happy for me to still travel? I was full-time training at the time and under the rules you technically qualify therefore as an elite athlete because you're taking your only source of income through right. sport you know I'd, I'd quit my job at Red Bull I was going for this and I and they said yes that's fine ship your boat and I shipped the boat and then in and then I chased them and I was like I still haven't had any paperwork through from you and they said oh yes sorry we actually can't permit it and I was like well you, you've now precluded my ability to set off from anywhere else you've totally shut this down and postponement cost me in the region of about £45,000 so it was a huge decision for me personally and I really I'd moved out my apartment because my tenancy was due to expire whilst I was on the water I'd quit my job I'd just come out of a relationship you know it really left me ironically (laughs) totally adrift (laughs) and (laughs) and it was really tough and you know I had good friends who were like you don't need to keep doing this if you don't want and I was like I don't want to walk away from it at this stage you know Mm. the whole point of doing this is to set the example that we're capable of doing anything I don't want to quit because things have got admittedly very tough but um so I moved back to Yorkshire just as every person in their 30s wants to do (laughs) move back home (laughs) three months (laughs) and um actually then took a job which worked out really well because I started working for World Sailing and they the contacts that have come through that have actually been really helpful for for the row and I think in hindsight I wasn't in the right headspace to set off mm. because it had been so stressful trying to pull you know I was training I took the boat to a particular marina next time I went down the police were closing the marina so I had to row the boat 25 miles to another marina you know my oh food my got stuck in Germany because of Brexit they were just so many issues it felt like I was constantly trying to claw my way to the start line and actually for a challenge this big you need to be really prepared it's not the kind of thing you can pull together in a short period of time Mm. and do a good job of so yes and I and I don't think it would have been the right time to go for the campaign because it you know you really want to maintain the integrity of the message that you're trying to put across and Mm. traveling when everybody else is locked down at home and taking on this challenge that admittedly can wait it didn't you know it probably wouldn't have been the right the right move so I am in a position now where I can see the, the benefits but that's not to say it's not been incredibly tough trying to keep the momentum going yeah. for another 12 months and and then I hate using the word sacrifice because fundamentally I chose to do this but sort mm. of the additional sort of work and push that's had to go into postponing by 12 months Mm. but you're nearly ready I am yes very ready because I've got everything ready before so yeah and you had an extra rowing an extra summer of rowing you were in was it Portugal you were in for the summer I did yeah I went to Villa Mora um, in the Algarve I have to say your Instagram posts were just making me Oh, so <laughs> envious. I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, even, you know, I know it was tough and you were working really hard and rowing and training and so on, but I was like, oh, look at what she's doing. It's the dream. Go on. I was about to say, I had people like, have you still got a job? And I was like, yeah, I still work full time. <laughs> I'm still working out here in a boatyard that's immensely noisy and living in sort of sailing accommodation and what have you. But one, when you're on the water in those conditions yeah it was just incredible ah, amazing so let's talk about the row itself what are you most afraid of 
if anything? I think going to Portugal actually really sort of alleviated certain fears of being out in the open water and rowing in big conditions. But I think you've always got to maintain a healthy level of fear for a challenge like Mm. this. I think I'm most afraid of is probably in terms of practical things, I'd say uh, my biggest fear would be capsizing and being knocked out and Mm you know you're on your own there's no one to pull you back out of the water it's there's only you there um mm-hmm. and I have a, a special kind of life jacket that saturates if it's in the water for long enough so it would inflate and roll you so that your head is yeah, hopefully right. face up but yeah I think things like that I just think gosh what would happen in that situation but you can't focus too much on you mm. can only control the controllables I've decided to yeah. do it now at this stage but I think being really honest the thing I worry about most at the moment is not doing a good job or not (laughs) not uh not feeling like I've done myself proud in I just want to get to the other side however long that takes feeling like I've given it everything that would be my my one regret is if I got there and thought I could have done this better or I could have handled this situation better yeah because you're you're trying to beat some fairly big boots I've read Kiko Matthews book and um it's pretty, yeah. Some pretty. It's a pretty gnarly record to be beating, yeah, to be aiming for. She's, yeah, she knocked her about a week off the record previously, I think. Mm. And you know, it's it's kind of crazy to decide that you're just going to go for a record in something like this because it's so weather dependent that nobody mm. can ever say oh, I'm in a real shot. You know, it's not like running the hundred meters. You, yeah. You've trained enough, and you either get it or you don't. You mm. you're so reliant on so many other factors, and I. I'm also rowing in a boat that's exactly the same spec as Kiko's was, but much heavier because of mm. what boats were available on the market at the time and, and mm. what I thought was best and what I felt most comfortable in. Um, and her the boat she'd used wasn't available. So, you know, I'm not in the perfect setup to to beat her, but I would like to give it a shot. Yeah, I think if the, the if there are favourable winds and you row hard and you you are sort of dedicated to trying to have a go at it it's achievable Mm. but it's certainly no guarantee and how good are you at routine because from all the bazillion rowing books rowing books I have read it seems to be sort of the number one apart from actually pulling on the oars it's the discipline to keep yourself going make sure you've got your water and your sleep patterns and etc etc how good are you how confident are you at that yeah, yeah, I feel comfortable that I'm fairly sort of self motivated. I've always been very self motivated, so I don't think I'll have an issue in in doing all of the necessary. I think as a solo rower, you're probably less subject to strict routine. You mm. definitely need the discipline of not sleeping in and you know not <laughs> cutting cutting back on hours and, and getting out on deck even on those days where you're scared and things like that. But I think you're mm you are slightly more subject to a lack of routine almost because you need to be Mm. way more reactive to the conditions and you need to listen to your body and you need to sort of take what you're taking everything on by yourself. So you're not in that two hour on two hour off routine that teams are in. Yeah, fair enough. And what what are the things that when you think about it that you just, you know, make your heart buzz and your eyes shine and the thought of that thing or those things just wild horses couldn't drag you away from doing this 
Do you understand my question? It was a bit Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> I think I think everybody will visualize what it's like to to reach the finish line. I think having done previous adventure challenges, it's it is really true that that true satisfaction of having done something comes afterwards, you know, on the days where mm. you're fighting conditions and you're exhausted and your back hurts, you're probably not loving life. But to mm. achieve something <laughs> of of that magnitude, I think is it's so rare you know only seven British women have done the Atlantic East to West solo so what an exclusive club to be a part of like incredible Mm. to push yourself but then also to to demonstrate that to others to have just started a project where we've got five schools involved of key key stage two age children and they're going to complete 3,000 miles of sport in January and then they're going to follow the crossing and then I'll go and speak to them and I think that's what really puts the fire in my belly of thinking gosh there's these kids who are yet to be molded and yet to form their opinions on sports and female participation Mm -hmm. in sports and like if you can show them what's possible and and I've really deliberately you know we talk about I lived in Switzerland and I'm a lawyer and all these things and it all sounds very grand but fundamentally I grew up in a single parent household in Huddersfield and didn't have some of the opportunities I've, I now have and I think mm. I've deliberately therefore tried to target some children in schools where they perhaps don't have those opportunities or don't have those role models and I think mm-hmm. that's that's where the real sort of passion comes from like you anybody on any level has the ability to to drive some level of change and I think it's so easy to feel like you're a small cog in a huge machine and insignificant but actually it, it's not the case so I think that's where the real sort of real push comes from. They're the they're the people I'll be getting out of bed for each morning when I'm exhausted on the boat, or each night, <laughs> depending where you are. Each morning what, at night is it? Yeah, yeah. Each two hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so um, let's fast forward to when you're finished, and you're going to come back on and talk to me about this, and what do you what do you want to be able to say to me or anyone like you know when they've got you on the this morning sofa for example because they will they totally will um (laughs) what do you what are the things that you want to be able to say that you did well and that you survived and that you learned uh oh gosh what a big question I think like I say, I just want to know, I just want to know that I've done, given it my best shot. And I would mm. want to be able to say to anybody listening or watching that, that if I can do it and I have no sporting background, then then anybody can. And then I totally mm. get that rowing an ocean is not for everybody. <laughs> but in, you know, metaphorically speaking, I do think everyone has their own ocean to cross, whether that's mm. a 5K or whether it's not even sport. You know, I think yeah. it, I'd want to be able to say to anybody that with a bit of determination and self-belief, anything is possible. And and to an extent, I already feel that I've achieved some of that because it really has been a slog at points to stick with this campaign in a global pandemic and recession with all the hurdles that that's thrown so I already feel to an extent proud of of that and I think mm. I think it's just that it it represents so much in terms of sort of pulling your socks up and getting on with things even in the face of adversity that 
I'd hope that was the message that that people take that literally anything they can do literally anything they put their mind to oh so exciting <laughs> uh, you got me that's it I'm away to sign up straight away um amazing <laughs> thank you so much I'm gonna leave it there because I uh want to come back and see you or speak to you after the great row and hear all about it I can't wait and I wish you all the very best of British as they say <laughs> and I hope it's amazing and terrible and all the things that you hope to experience and more oh me too me too it's been a long time coming so I'm looking forward to coming yeah. back and talking about having done it rather than still being talking about <laughs> about to do it <laughs> yeah amazing thanks so much and we'll catch up when you get back fab thank you Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week with some more great chat with another amazing woman. Bye-bye.